choir. Go ahead, if you would, and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Today we're going to finish out this series uh, that we've been in now in the book of Philippians for quite a few weeks, uh, going back a few months, actually, back before the holidays. Back in, This is like a, a series that started last year, <laughs> literally started last year. So we're going to finish it up today, chapter 4, three verses. Left, and uh, we're going to focus on those, and it's amazing how it ties in specifically with what we've been looking at uh, here this morning and celebrating in the Lord's Supper. So, um, you know, for me, when I first started out in ministry, I was in a church for about six years and, uh, and then went on to seminary from there, and then about a year and a half, give or take, ended up coming here uh, after seminary. I remember being on that church staff. It was a, it was a pastor, me, and uh, for the first three years, I was part the second three years there, I was full-time, but it was just a pastor and myself, and I worked primarily with students back then, and, um, and, and I remember those times because his, his office was all the way on the other side of the property from where my office was, and uh, we had a great relationship, both of the pastors I served with in that church. And yet, there were times where I would just long to be part of a team, a, a, kind of a, a bigger ministry team. And then God sent me to seminary, and then once that was done, ended up coming here, and obviously have been a part of amazing teams here in this church ever since, some of those being on staff, others of those being a part of our volunteer team here also. And, and when you think about it, I mean, we all have experience with being a part of a team in a lot of ways. Maybe you've been a part of a team where you work together, you train together. When you think about cross-country teams, for example, are great examples of what it means to be a part of a team, of how a team should operate. Because a cross-country team, if you have any experience with that at all, what you've recognized in those kind of teams is, is uh, everyone competes individually, but it's also the ultimate team sport because whoever finishes in fifth place for the team is equally as important as whoever comes in first place. Everybody is equally important. And what you often find in cross country is that those teams, they train together, they become a small family, they cheer one another. Those who finish first, who are the fastest, often will circle back on the sidelines and begin to cheer Nobody's business for those who are still coming in because they need those points. They need their team. It is a great picture of how a team operates. Many of you have been parts of teams like that, whether it's in the workplace or in actual sports teams or in some other venue. And when you think about it, even families are like little teams. And teams often are like little families. There's a lot of, a, a, a lot of um, commonality between those two. That when, when, when you think of families and how families operate, you're there to pull for one another, to help one another, to, to correct one another at times, to encourage one another. That's how families operate. In fact, when you look at Scripture, there's this really, really neat verse in Psalm chapter 68 that reminds us of how God looks at families specifically, and no one is left out. Look at what it says here in Psalm chapter 68. Verse 5 and 6, a psalm written by David about 3,000 years ago. Speaking of God, he says, A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. And, and whether you've ever been a part of a team, whether you are part of a family, right, regardless we have the opportunity to be a part of the most important family, the most important team of all, and that's to be a part of the body of Christ in relationship with God. So when we look at Philippians, we, we, we see at the very end of it, Paul seems to be just sort of finishing out this letter. When you wrote a letter back in the day, now you just do emails or texts, but back when you used to write letters, you probably saved that last paragraph for just kind of closing words, right? It wasn't anything real important. You didn't a whole lot of new information there unless you 
putting it off, <laughs> you know, and, and you had to break the news to your mom and dad via letter, you know, from college or something. But typically that last be tying things up. Tell everybody I said, hey, tell everybody I miss them. I hope to get home soon. That's kind of how you finish the letter. And that's how Paul finishes out the letter Philippians. It's a lot of that. It's a lot of, hey, tell so-and-so hello. I'll give you my best. And let's walk together in the grace of God. That's how he finishes. And it seems like it's just this random uh, close to a letter. But what Paul is doing here in this close is that's what he's doing these last three verses as we close out Philippians, he is reinforcing this all over again. And there's a principle that this reminds us of that I hope you'll jot down. And the principle is this, that the bond of being in Christ, and this is what we celebrated today, right? That we are all part of the body of Christ. The bond that comes with being in Christ is the strongest bond of all among believers. Stronger than any other team you've been a part of, the bond in Christ, right? Your relationship with God, also the way that we relate to other people, that bond that comes from being in Christ is the strongest bond of all among believers. And as Paul finishes out this part of his letter, he's going to drive that home in many ways. Now, as we look at this, obviously, Paul would write numerous letters in the, uh, in the New Testament. Much of the New Testament we can attribute to God writing it, obviously, but through Paul specifically. Look at what Paul says in a previous letter here in Scripture in the book of Galatians chapter 3. Notice what Paul says. He speaks about this bond that we have in Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 and verse 28. He says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, he's speaking to believers, not the whole world, all of you who've been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, this is interesting because we have a tendency to put people into categories, right? We have a tendency to put people into categories on where we're from or whether or not we were raised around here or what school you went to or where you work or what type of career you have or how much money you make or how you dress or what you drive, all those other things. What have you accomplished? We have all these categories for people. <laughs> and what Paul is saying here to the churches in Galatia in this passage that I just read, he says, listen, in Christ, there is neither male nor female. There is neither slave nor free. Now, he's not saying, don't be careful in this culture. Don't let people point to that and say, See, even God sees multitudes of genders. That's not what he's saying. That's not the context of that verse. Paul is saying in Christ, the things we think matter that often divide us do not divide, right? God sees us through the lens of whether we are in Christ or whether we are not. And that's what Paul is getting at here, specifically in that passage in Galatians. He, he's not, it's not this universalist, you know, everybody's uh, going to heaven one day. It, it's, it's not that. It, it's not all roads lead to heaven. It's not everybody's going to be saved. Paul still said, know God through Christ. It's in him specifically. But he's, he's also painting this picture of unity. That in the body of Christ, among believers, there is this picture of unity. And yet what often happens is that those who have a relationship with God, many times we can find ourselves so isolated. You're even in a place right now in your life where you feel so isolated. And we can often have this mentality of, you know what, I don't want to let anybody else know that I'm struggling. I don't want to let anybody else know where I struggle. And I know, I completely understand, there are parts of life that you don't just swing open the doors and blare to the whole universe, right? I understand that. that sometimes 
there's a circle of people that you know you can trust, that you, that you share certain things with. But many times what happens is even in the body of Christ, where there should be unity, there's often isolation. There's not, not just disunity, but isolation. We're, we're, we're kind of like these Lone Ranger Christians not, you know, living life literally on an island <laughs> separated from others that we need, that we need in our lives, that we need to be engaged with, that we need praying for us, so we need to be praying for them, right? Doing life together. And yet, even though God has given us the strongest bond of all in Christ, many times there are still believers that are doing life all by themselves. Sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it's because we do. Sometimes we do disengage. Sometimes we're not faithful to take that first step, right, towards, towards someone. But many times it's just the mentality, ultimately, that we carry. And so getting back to Philippians here, Paul is writing this letter to a group of believers in the city of Philippi. He himself is in prison. He knows what isolation is all about. He's got some people around him, as we're going to see in just a second. But he is encouraging them as he closes out with words that we'll, we would easily just kind of read past and just fly, fly beyond. But Paul is affirming and he's strengthening this concept of being there ultimately for one another. And so a man named Epaphroditus that Paul mentions in Philippians, he has come to Paul with a gift, financial gift more than likely, that he's given to Paul. We talked about this last week in chapter 4. He's delivered that gift to Paul. Paul now writes a letter. He sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi, the church, with this letter. You can imagine the church is all gathered around, probably in somebody's home, maybe Lydia's home, who came to Christ, Acts chapter 16 in Philippi. Maybe it's the, um, uh, the centurion, right, the jailer uh, in Philippi who came to Christ in Acts 16. Maybe they're in his home, but they're gathered together. They're reading this letter. They've, they've, they've read through 97% of this letter, literally. 101 verses. They didn't have verses back then when Paul wrote it. Those would come later. But what we have, 101 verses they would have already read, and there's only three left. And even Paul uses these three verses to pack a message in. And so let's go ahead and jump in. Acts, or rather, Philippians chapter 4, verse 21 through verse 23. So Paul writes at the end of this letter, he says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who were with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And at that point, the pen was placed down, the letter was sealed up, and it was sent. Paul speaks of two things here that I think are significant in these simple little three verses the first one he mentions there I want to look at is in verse 23, the very end. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, this is interesting. If you go back to chapter 1 in this letter, look at the first two verses in chapter 1. Paul is going to be talking about much the same thing. He's going to be talking about grace, and he's going to be talking about how these believers are saints. He says in chapter 1, 1 and 2, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers, that's the pastors and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is finishing this letter kind of the same way he started it. He's talking about grace and he's talking about how the people there in Philippi, the believers, are actually saints. He uses that specific language. So let's talk about grace for a second because grace is such an important part of our relationship with God. Number one, you remember Ephesians chapter two says you're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, not by our own works, 
lest we should boast. But to the glory of God, he saves us by his grace. If you occupy a seat today, if you took of the Lord's Supper because you know there's a time in your life when you've given your life to Jesus, you lay down your sin, you said, I've blown it, Jesus, forgive me, I can, I want to live for you, and you've invited him to forgive you and save you and take over your life, then what the Bible says about you is that, that you are filled with grace. And in the same way you were called and saved by grace, he wants you to now walk in grace. Peter would have a little something to say about that. He would say, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Paul is dealing with grace. He's reminding them that even though the letter's over, you're called to still walk in that same grace by which you were saved. But he also calls them saints. Look at what he says again back in verse 21. He says, greet every saint. Verse 22, all the saints greet you, right? The ones who are with him. You probably only really apply that word saint with certain, certain religious backgrounds, right? Where that word is used. We, we, we don't usually call each other saint, right? It, it, would, it would feel a little awkward if suddenly you started calling each other saint. But you know what? As a believer, as a follower of Christ, that's what Paul called you. And the Holy Spirit inspired him to write it. It's kind of what God calls you, right? And what we often attribute the word saint to means, well, this must be a person who has it all buttoned down, they've done it right, and, and they've got it all figured out, and now they're living it out perfectly. That, that's not this, right? What Paul uses this word to describe someone whose identity and whose standing before God has been completely changed because of their relationship with Jesus. That their identity has been transformed. They have been transformed. They are no longer seen as sinner. They are now seen by God as saint. And at the very end of this letter, I'm telling you, we just went right past these last three verses when we're reading this and we think, well, we're done with Philippians. Let's move on into Colossians. No, Paul uses this wording for a reason. And even at the close of the letter, he's reminding these followers of Jesus who they are. It's a reminder of 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin on our behalf so that might become the righteousness of God. When we place our faith in Jesus, Christian, listen, you are not the same old person you used to be. You may sound the same, you may struggle with the same things at times, and there may be a lot of things in your life that looks the same, but you have been completely transformed as a follower of Jesus. You are not the same person. You are a new creature in Christ. And Paul says to them, you are saints. Now he's going back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he says, where he said, now conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Remember who you are. Live up to who you are. Don't live like the same old person before you knew Jesus. Paul is hammering on this. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, he, he's going to begin to, uh, to also um, circle into this, right, that they are part of a family as well. 1 John 1, 7, if we, John writes this. He says, if we walk in the light as he himself, Christ is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's this picture that Paul is painting. That when we come to Christ, we are new creatures. That we are transformed. But we are not designed to live this life alone in isolation from one another. We're called to be in unity. We're called to be there for one another. Paul says in verse 21... He says, the brethren who are with me greet you. So who's he talking about 
when he says the brethren who are with me. Because Paul is in a Roman prison when he writes this. Undoubtedly, things were a little different for them 2,000 years ago in their context than for us. But even still today, if you've got someone in prison, they can still receive visitors. There was no doubt some form, some protocol where Paul was allowed to have visitors nearby. How do we know that? Well, follow me here for just a second. Let's piece some things together. Philippians is part of what's called the prison epistles. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, four books of the New Testament that Paul wrote from prison in the city of Rome, most would agree. So when he wrote those four books of the Bible, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, more than likely they would have all been written around the same time period and the same setting for Paul. So let's jump over to Colossians. It's the very next book. Let's jump over to Colossians chapter 4. And let's, um, let's see what Paul says about who's nearby him. He, he, he says in Philippians that the brethren who are with me greet you. Who are some of those brethren? Look at what it says, Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 14. He's going to name about eight different people. Now remember, different book, Colossians, but it's written from the same place, prison. He says, as he closes out the letter to the Colossian Christians, he says, as to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information, for I have sent him to you for this very purpose. More than likely, Tychicus was right there with him in Rome. That you may know about our circumstances, that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus. Our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. In other words, they're here with me. They're going to tell you all about what's going on here in my life. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. And also Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, meaning they are Jewish. And they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who was one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. These are eight people that Paul would ultimately mention there when he wrote Colossians from the same place around the same time. And when he says at the end of Philippians, follow me on this, when he says that the brethren here greet you, he's saying those that God has put around me because I know that I can't afford to be isolated from the body of Christ. Even when I'm locked up in prison, I know that I need people around me and God has provided them. He says those people send greetings to you as well. And, and you're probably thinking, so, so Brooks, what, what, is the, what is the big deal with all of this? Und and, right, put the pieces together. Let's see how it all fits. Paul is emphasizing the need we have for one another as we live out the Christian life, that the most, the most powerful bond as believers that we have is that relationship we have, we have with God and with others who have a relationship with him as well. And he is affirming that. Even to the point to where as he closes his letter, he comments to them, 
that, that he is part of their lives, that there are believers with him that are part of their lives in Philippi. There are new believers. He even mentions new believers in Caesar's household. He, he mentions them in, uh, in verse 22. These are probably people who worked under Caesar's um, command, who had given their lives to Jesus, right? They're now believers. Paul even pulls them. He folds them into this. And, and, he, and he tells the church of Philippi, essentially, we are all in this together. We are one family we're unified, and none of us are expected to live out the Christian life in, isolated, in isolation of one another. The bond of being in Christ is the strongest bond of all among believers. And yet, maybe for you today, you walk alone, and you struggle alone, and you hurt alone in isolation. So ironic, I started this series back in... October, maybe, somewhere in there, a few months ago. This is like 17, 18 messages into this as we wrap it up. Had no idea that as we finished chapter 4, that we would also be on the same day celebrating the Lord's Supper. How ironic that as we talk about the bond that we have in Christ, we also have a visual reminder <laughs> of how that bond came together, that it was a Savior who gave his life. And that when he saves us, he saves us individually but he puts us in a family, his family, that we share together. You know, this morning, I want us to close out in a little bit of, diff of a different way. I'm going to ask Adam, if he doesn't mind, just to slip out and, and come and just to begin playing quietly. And I want us to close out just by praying. That's how I want us to finish out this, this message today, this service really and this series as we pray, but not, not just taking a moment to pray right there quietly. I want to take a moment, and I'm not going to put anyone on the spot except just to ask some to stand, not individually, or, or not, not by name, but if you just fall into a category. It's up to you whether you stand or not. Nobody will know whether you, you know, should have and didn't. <laughs> but I'm just going to read a few categories as we close. And, and if you fall into that category, and if you would like someone to pray for you, just Again, not coming to you, not calling you forward, but just where we sit. I'm going to just ask you to stand, and the rest of us will pray. You know, again, this world that we live in is a fallen world. It's a world that Christians are not insulated from. And when we gave our lives to Jesus, maybe for you, you mistakenly thought, you know what, there's going to be a bubble around my life, and no hurt's ever going to invade. And, and you found out maybe quickly that God doesn't just keep all the hurt away. Right? He doesn't insulate us. He shields us from so much that we would never know. But sometimes that hurt and that struggle invades even our own lives. Maybe for you, you're one of those today. And so to pray for you, I'm going to ask maybe if you're one of those who's going through a specific trial in your life right now. And I think we all are in certain ways. But if it's, if it's kind of a trial that you would typically say, you know what, I just really need somebody to be praying for me right now. If you would, just stand. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to point any attention to you, but just stand. And for those of us who don't stand, if we could just take a moment to pray for these. And so just look around a little bit, right? That trial can be a lot of different things. It can be health-related. It can be relational. It could be a struggle in your own walk with the Lord right now. Maybe it's a crisis of faith. But in something in your life, there's a trial, there's a struggle where you would say, I sure would love to know they're part of my family praying for me. And you know what? As Christians, we're family. So if you're seated, let's just take a moment.
pray for those that are standing. Lord, thank you for the courage demonstrated by those that stood today. Without even saying a word, God, they're demonstrating, they're communicating to their family with whom they have a bond in Christ to say, would you pray for me? We don't need to know the details. We certainly don't need to spread the details if we know them. But God, what we do need to do is pray for them, pray for one another. Because there have been days, Lord, if this had been maybe a month ago or a year ago or a few years ago, God, we would have been the ones standing. And if we do this a week from now, God, it may be us standing. And so, God, I pray for these. Lord, that you would give courage. Lord, I pray for these standing that you would give wisdom, direction. A reminder that through Christ, they are never outside of the scope of your presence. Lord, you are always here. You've made promises to them that you're never going to leave them. You're never going to forsake them. That you're going to work good out of whatever struggle and trial they face. And that in the midst of it, God, that you're going to show yourself faithful because you are faithful. And so, God, whatever the specific need, thank you that you know it, that you have a plan through it. We pray when they come through the other side that you'll get glory for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. You know, some of these, you may stand more than once, and that's okay. For some of you, maybe you've got a family member or a loved one that you know doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. They've never given their life to Christ. Someone you've been praying for, someone you've been hoping would come to that place where they would give their lives to Jesus. And you would sure love to know that there's somebody else praying in this moment for them as well. If you've got someone that comes to your mind that you've been praying for in your family, in your circle of friends, a loved one that that you long to have place their faith in Jesus, why don't you just stand for a moment and let the rest of us pray for them as well. Lord, there are people in this world, (laughs) in some of these families, God, that don't have any idea there's a family member or a friend standing on behalf of them today, asking a church to intercede and to pray that they would get the most important decision of all right. And that's to lay down their sin and to trust Christ alone to forgive and to save them. Lord, I pray for each person represented by those standing this morning, God, that you would work powerfully in their lives. I pray that you would work through circumstances. I pray that you'd give boldness to these that are standing or to others that are in the kind of the the patterns of their lives, God, that would, who know you, that would speak the gospel into their lives, God. But Lord, we know even there that hard work can only be done by you. Only you can change a human heart. And so we pray for these who don't know you, Lord, that are being lifted up by those standing today, that you would soften their hearts, God, that you would open their hearts, that you'd strip away the doubt and the blindness that the enemy has brought. And help them to see the pure, simple message of the gospel that can be summarized in a piece of bread and a cup of juice. That Jesus came and lived a life perfect in every way and gave his life and shed his blood so that we could have the slate wiped clean and forgiven. So God, we pray for each of these who have someone burdened on their heart, God, that those people would come to know you soon, that you draw them, into your, 
into closeness to yourself and that they would yield their life to Jesus before it's too late. Thank you, God, for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I want to also take a moment to pray for those here who may say, you know what, Brooks, I know I'm a Christian and I've given my life to Christ. Man, it's been a struggle. I'm not talking about just a trial that I'm going through, but on the inside, I feel, I feel a little dry. <laughs> and I, I, feel, I feel further from the Lord than really I've been in a long time. Maybe it's, maybe it's the struggles of life. Maybe it's some of the trials you faced. But you feel like, you know what? That flickering candle that's about to go out, that's kind of way, the way I feel right now. And I, I just need, I need a freshness to my walk with the Lord again. And I, I need to know not just that he's here because I know that. And I know it's not all about feelings, but I just, I need a little bit of revival in my life. If that's you, would you stand? Man, I'm telling you, I could be standing many times over through the course of these 20 years I've been a pastor here. And so if that's you today, if you would, why don't you stand? Let's pray for you. Lord, the hard edges of life at times have a way of stealing our joy if we're not careful. If we don't stay close to you, if we're not in your word, if we're not surrounded by other believers, if we're not... If we're not pressing in close consistently, oftentimes what we can find is, is that we end up feeling so far from you. And yet also there are those moments when we are walking closely and we're doing all the things that believers should do. And yet the difficulties of life just sometimes wear us down to where our faith seems dry and almost fragile, even though we know it's not. So God, I pray for those standing today. I pray for myself. God, that you would just bring a freshness to our walks with you, God. That you would make your words just jump off the page in our lives. God, that you would increase our joy. God, that we would, that we would have an experience with you that is not superficial and merely emotional, but God, that is deep and that is abiding to the point where others would see you in us. And we thank you, God. Thank you that you are that living water that fills and revitalizes. As David even spoke of in the 23rd Psalm, Lord, of how you're the one who restores our soul. God, we thank you for being that kind of a God to us. Do what we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And then I want to close with one more thing to pray for. And that's for those that may be here this morning who've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe for you, you've been in church a long time. And you've heard messages and you've read the Bible and you know all the Christian songs. But there just seems to be something missing to the point to where you can't remember a time in your life when you truly gave your life to Christ. Where you prayed and invited him. Like putting on that wedding ring in a sense. I remember where I was when I put this on almost 20 years ago. Because it was a decision I made, right? I was there. I didn't accidentally get married. I was there. And I made that commitment to my wife, to Susie. Maybe for you, you can't remember a time when you called on Jesus to forgive you. Romans says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe, maybe you don't remember a time, or maybe you've heard the gospel and you've just always pushed it away, but today is one of those moments where the Lord is just so at work in your life where you're saying to yourself, you know what, today's the day. I need him and I want him. And today, the best I can, I turn from my sin and I invite Jesus to forgive me and take over. 
to be my Savior, to be my Lord, and to put me into his family. If you've never done that and you're ready for it, if you just want to make absolutely certain, why don't you stand right now, if you would, and I want to pray for you, anyone at all. And so, God, as we close out this series, assuming that everyone in the room today is a follower of Christ or not yet ready for that, God, I pray that for those of us who know you, that we'll walk in a way that we'll conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, as Philippians 1 tells us. And God, as we go through the struggles that come in life when we're, ten, we're, we're, we're tempted to just isolate and to pull away, that we'll remember that the strongest bond that we have is our relationship with you. But that a part of that, even demonstrated at the end of Philippians, is that we live out our lives in community with other Christians, God. Some of them are going to be closer to us than others, and that's okay. That's only human nature. But God, we were never intended to live this life apart from one another. That's the beauty of the concept of a local church, that we live out our walks with you, with other believers, sharpening one another, being encouraged by one another, sometimes even correcting one another out of love. And God, in the midst of it is you. Thank you for being the God you are, Lord, to us. Thank you for giving us such a concept as family, Lord, through the body of Christ. We praise you for it. May you be glorified through the lives we live. In Jesus' name.